Welcome to the Money is Emotional podcast with Christine Lukin, the Financial Dignity Coach. In this podcast, we help you recover a positive and peaceful relationship with your personal finances. We do this by bringing together wise money management with emotional intelligence. Join us for this journey where we navigate our relationship with money as Christine Lucan draws from years of experience and guest experts to help you get to the root of your money issues. Hello and welcome to Money is Emotional with your host, Christine Lucan. Christine, what's going on? Oh, it's a great day today. It is a fantastic day. I'm, I'm very excited for the listening audience. I know you've gotten tired of me sitting here with Christine talking, so she's replaced me today. She has a guest on the show. Uh, who did you bring on the show today? Well, I have saved the best for first. <laughs> I it. have brought on my amazing friend, James Lenhoff, to talk to us today about why you should let your kids fail with money. Oh, I love this. That's a great topic. That's a great sentence right there. Way to start yes. off with a bang. <laughs> well, you know, that's that's how we like to do it around that's here. That's how you roll. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christine, so tell us a little bit about James. Yes. So James is the co-founder and director of mission at WealthQuest. He's not just a certified financial planner. He's also a certified life coach. You don't see both of those in the same package very often. James is the author of Living a Rich Life, The No Regrets Guide to Building and Spending Wealth, and the host of the Rich Life podcast. James has been married to his wonderful wife, Amy, for over 20 years. They have three children, Max, Wes, and Mia. In his free time, he loves to share adventures with his family through travel, golfing, and boating. Welcome, James. Thanks, guys. I'm excited to be here. It's so fun to get to talk to you. Yes, absolutely. I am excited to dive into this topic today. I have a lot of clients, a lot of listeners and fans who have kids, and yet my husband and I are child-free by choice. So I feel like I need to bring someone in, not just with head knowledge, but with the practical, hands-on, experience. So my first question for you is, James, why do you think that parents swoop in and rescue their kids rather than letting them experience any kind of failure with money? Well, I think, I mean, if you really boil it down, one of the biggest issues is that we think that failure is the opposite of success. Mm. And that is not true. That is absolutely not true. Failure is the process of success. I've never met anyone who's succeeded in anything without failing at it a bunch before they actually figured it out. And so, you know, I mean, think about the way that your kid learns how to walk. You, know, you don't lecture them on the laws of physics. You don't throw a book at them and say, hey, here's how the mechanics of your muscles work. They learn how to walk by falling over and over and over again until they somehow figure it out. And that's how money works. It's experiential, right? We, we learn by feeling the emotion. I 100% agree with you, Christine. You and I have spent years <laughs> talking about this topic, that money yes. is not mathematical, it's emotional. And yet we don't let our kids feel the emotion 
of failing and making mistakes and making decisions that turn out to backfire on them because we keep protecting them because we think failure is a bad thing. We really yes. need to flip the script on that. The way I always illustrate it is the classic example is the, the family walking through the grocery store and one of their little kids says, buy me that useless piece of plastic, right? Yes. And you know it's a useless piece of plastic because you've bought so daggone many of them and they always break in the car on the way home and you know it's going to happen again. And so you're like, no, that's a stupid use of money. It's a useless piece of plastic. It's going to break. We're not going to buy it today. Well, you only know that because you felt the pain of wasting your money on it before. They don't know it yet. That's true. And so we need to give them access to that pain in order for them to know how to make better decisions in the future. Yes. So by protecting them from pain, we're actually exposing them to greater pain in the future. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everybody's going to make the same mistakes when it comes to money. It's just a question of how much it costs. You know, <laughs> I, I want my kids to make the same mistake that the college kid is making that involves a comma. Right, their their mistake is a two or five thousand dollar mistake. I want my kid to make that same mistake when it costs five bucks. You know, let's give them access when they're five and ten and twelve to make big mistakes that are really inexpensive. That's why it's way easier to learn how to walk when you're only you know whatever eight twelve inches you know off the ground. <laughs> you know, when you fall, it doesn't hurt that bad. <laughs> but if you learn to walk when you're six foot four, it's going to hurt a lot. <laughs> you know. So we need to give them access to that falling early. Yes, so. I love that. Well, let me ask you this. What are some of these, you kind of alluded to this, but what are the long-term consequences that you've witnessed, especially in your financial planning practice, yeah. when someone has had no financial consequences for their mistakes as a child or even as a teenager? Yeah. The interesting thing is it's a combination of consequences for the parents and consequences for the child. I mean, I have parents who are in their 80s who are still super concerned about the fact that they're going to pass away and leave an inheritance to their 60-something-year-old child who they still see as an inept, incompetent child when it comes to money. And they're wow. really worried about the decisions that they're going to make. And my position with them is the same as someone who's raising a toddler. You got to give them some money to fail with. And you didn't do it their whole life. And so you're so frustrated about the fact that they don't know how to handle money because you've bailed them out of every mistake they've made. You've swooped mm -hmm. in and paid for everything. You've reinforced to them that they are incapable of making good decisions around money. And so they're super dependent on you. And then you're mad that they're dependent on you. Well, right. What did you expect, man? Like you've reinforced this their entire adult life, you know, even into their 60s, you're still worried about it. So the right. consequence that I see is that you're just delaying the inevitable mm. and that delay compounds the pain because there's so much shame. And you've seen this, Christine, so much shame yes. around money, right? I mean, it's such a source of shame, particularly when you see your parents consistently swooping in and protecting you from yourself, there is this deep sense of inadequacy that forms. And so you build no confidence. You are super afraid of money. I see 40, 50-year-olds that are like, I, I'm terrible at this. I don't know how to do it. And I'm going, this isn't rocket science. This is right. pretty easy stuff, actually. But you have been taught since you were young that you're never going to figure it out. It's too, too hard. You got to rely on mom and dad. 
Right. And to some degree, there's like a sick, twisted joy that the parents are getting from mm. still having their kid dependent on them, like still needing them. And what I tell parents all the time is your number one job as a parent is to work yourself out of a job. Right. You need to get to a place where you're raising grown ass humans who make really <laughs> confident decisions, not a bunch of really big children who are still dependent on you in their 50s. Yeah, absolutely. And it does set up a very unhealthy dynamic as, you know, that teenager moves into adulthood. Totally. And I've seen that where the child is, it's like they want the help, but it comes with a lot of strings. And it totally. may be conditional strings, you know, on how they can use the money. There's a lot of emotional strings yep. that come attached to that as well. And I've had clients who have come to me because they they wanted to get their financial house in order because they didn't want to depend on her mom or his dad if an emergency happened because they didn't have any margin yep. and they thought that was their only choice. And when they would go and ask for help, they would get it, but it would come with the shaming, the blaming mm -hmm. yep. and, and all those emotional strings. And that just sets up such an unhealthy dynamic in the family. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's such a source of control and manipulation you know, parents make quote unquote gifts to their kids. But the way I always argue that is the only way it's a gift is if you've not given them any direction. Mm -hmm. If you are not, if you still have control over the, the decision that they're making, you haven't made a gift. Yeah. You know, technically from a tax standpoint, maybe you've made a gift, but you've, what you've really done is made a demand, made a, a, a you know, an obligation. Mm. That's not a gift. Right. No. And, and so there's this really weird power struggle that just perpetuates the sense of, of inadequacy. And the funny thing is I'll talk to the parents when they're in their seventies and eighties and I'll say, you should start giving some of this money to your kids now while you're alive. Don't wait until you pass away. And they're like, Oh my gosh, they're totally going to blow it. I'm like, yep, that's exactly why we're going to do this. We got to get <laughs> them used to having money Yeah, and making their own decisions and being responsible. I, I, I tell people all the time, the hardest part about money is the having of it, just letting mm -hmm. it sit there and not having our brains go into overdrive on all the things we could do with it and all the ways we could buy things with it and, and spend it on stuff and experiences. The hardest part about having money is just having it sit there and just be. Yes. And they won't get used to that. And That's so true. if you yeah. just give them a bunch of money when you die and they go from zero to a million, they're a lottery winner. Right. And it is, it does not work well for lottery winners. They don't have the framework. They're not used to the having of it. And so they blow it. And so yeah. I, you know, parents are like, yeah, they're going to make huge mistakes. I'm like, you bet they are. And we're going to just watch it happen and just get through it. <laughs> we're not going <laughs> to keep, you know, beating them up over it, telling them they should have done it differently. We're just going to go ahead and hand it to them and let them burn through that initial list of mistakes they need to make yeah. so that they'll be ready. So, Well, because if your comfort zone is zero in right. the bank and then all of a sudden you get a million, right. you're going to do whatever you, you know, and, and it's an unconscious thing, right. you know, that it's like 
yeah, we we say we want a million dollars, but if we're not comfortable with it, that's not our comfort zone. We're going to get back to zero pretty quick. So let me ask you this. At what age did you begin allowing your kids to fail with money in a controlled environment? Like, yeah. At what yeah. age? We, we started at age five. Okay. Um, they had birthday money and things like that. And, and to be quite honest, this was a learning curve for us, just like anybody else. I, I did the same thing that everybody else does, which is I actually gave my kids the wrong experience with money. So, you know, please explain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The traditional way that we do this is we say, I'm not going to let you experience spending any money. I'm going to decide what useless pieces of plastic we buy or don't buy. So I'm going to be in charge of all that. The only experience I'm actually going to give you is the incredible excitement of having a passbook savings account at a bank with your birthday money in it. And you put all your birthday money in it that you've gotten up until you're five. And that's you know a few hundred bucks or whatever. And it sits there and it does nothing. And in six months, you get a statement that says you made a penny of interest. <laughs> and the only thing the kid actually experiences is saving is stupid. Yeah. I mean, saving is a waste of time. I should have spent that money on all kinds of fun stuff. I could have bought so much candy. I could have had so much more fun. A penny? Are you serious? And so the only experience we normally give them is teaching them the wrong thing. That saving is a really dumb idea. Right. And so all of this kind of broke open for me when I'm watching my kid, my oldest, who's now 16, starting to like look at this bank account. I'm like, hey, dad does this money thing. And so we're going to really teach you about money. We're going to go to the bank. And man, he was so discouraged by it. I'm like, yeah, this this isn't good, you know. <laughs> and so I developed this idea that I call the bank of mom and dad. And so the deal is we pay our kids an allowance based on their age every week they get their age in allowance. And I did it on long, long time. I did it in a spreadsheet because that's what was out there. Right. Uh, now there's an app that I highly, highly recommend called Greenlight, where it all automates and you can just do it all completely through the app. It's fantastic, worth every penny of what I think they charge three bucks a month or something. Uh, that's reasonable. Plan. Yeah. But what, what happens is the kid's bank account with the bank of mom and dad earns 10% interest. We're nice. paying them 10% interest. And no, you can't open an account at my bank. So sorry. <laughs> uh, sure? everybody always asks that, like, are you taking new clients? I'm like, nope, the bank of mom and dad is closed <laughs> to new customers. But the idea is I want them to experience what it feels like to actually make higher levels of interest that are incentivizing and exciting and energizing. And my kids over the years, they get to a place where, you know, their interest is paying them an extra week's worth of allowance if nice. they just let it sit there. Right. So they're incentivized to save because they see compounding interest as this powerful thing rather than this stupid thing that pays them a penny every six months. But then what happens is they now have control over their okay. money. So if we're at the grocery store and they say, I want to buy that useless piece of plastic, I say, it's your money. You get to decide. And here's what happens. The same process plays out. The, we all know it's a useless piece of plastic. I'm looking at it. I'm like, there's no way that even makes it out of the store in one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like That is such a piece of garbage. Like we should just throw it straight into the trash can on our way to the car. <laughs> and so they say, all right, I want to buy this thing. I'm really excited about it. And I say, yeah, what's exciting about it? Let's talk about that. What are you hoping it'll do for you? 
and then they spend their money. It costs them something. Mm. And then it does exactly what we expect. It breaks in the car. It breaks before we even get to the car. We literally throw it in the trash before we even get in the car. And now they have that beautiful experience, what I call the Yoda of finance, which is buyer's remorse, <laughs> right? Like they yes. learn everything from Yoda, right? Just that feeling of, oh, that was a joke. That didn't do anything that it said it was going to do. That didn't last nearly as long as I hoped. It didn't fulfill me. It didn't make me happy. It didn't do any of the stuff that it promised. Mm -hmm. And instead of me saying, see, I told you so, I can step into that and say, tell me about that. What happened? What did you learn there? What, what was on the packaging that it didn't do that you mm -hmm. expected it to do? How do we learn next time to see that packaging is going to lie to you all the time, right? It's going to look way bigger in the package, or it's going to look like <laughs> it flies way further. And then you throw it and it goes three feet and crashes and breaks. And, you know, we need them to get experience with that where it costs them something. Because if it only costs me my money, as far as they know, you know, mom and dad have unlimited resources. Yes. So what do they care that that thing that they bought for five bucks broke? Right. right? Yeah. But when it's their five bucks, they're pissed about it. And I want them mm -hmm. to be. Right. But I don't need to shame them. I don't need to tell them that was dumb. I don't need to do the whole I told you so thing, because all I'm going to do if I do that is reinforce in their mind. Yeah, you're right. I'm really bad about money. I make bad decisions. I just need to rely on mom and dad to do those things for me. Yeah, that's so important. I want to give them space. That's right. That's right. Excuse me. Yes, you. Thank you so much for listening to the Money is Emotional podcast. We hope you're enjoying it so far. If you have any questions or would like to talk more about this topic, you can find us at www.christinelukin.com and all of our social media platforms are listed in the show notes. Yeah, that's so important. So what does this progression look like as, as your kids have age? Like maybe you can give us an example. You know, you told us what this failing with money looks like as a five-year-old. Yep. But what does that start to look like as like a 10-year-old and a 15-year-old? And do you start giving them more responsibility as far as what this money is supposed to buy, right? Because, yep. you know, when they're five, their allowance just goes for fun stuff. Do you start to also transition some of the things that, you know, like their clothes or different yep. school activities and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. At the beginning, I want them to just see money as buying once. Okay. They're not in a place mentally and their framework. Like I just want them to buy things they're excited about and let them let them down. Right. <laughs> just, you know what I mean? It's really sad. It sounds like I, I just want them to be in pain all the time. No, I don't, but I, <laughs> but I do want them to just experience the things they need to learn. Right. And so we're not in, introducing any needs at five, six, seven, I, at 10, my kids all started to have to buy their own shoes for school. Oh, okay. Right. And then when they got to 14, so at, at 13, our kids are allowed to get cell phones. And okay. so once they're at 13, they have to buy the phone. I'm not buying it for them. Nice. And they have to pay for their line. You know, it's $10 a month to add a line or whatever, you know, they have to pay for that. I'm not paying for that. I so, love that. So we're moving them into now I have to start to prioritize, you know, quote unquote needs. Cell phone, mm -hmm. you could argue, is not still technically a need for a 13 year old. But, you know, we're starting to help them see that, like, hey, if you spend all your money on candy or video games, you're not going to be able to buy that cell phone that you're really excited to finally be able to get. 
And so we need to start prioritizing decisions and start thinking about saving for that thing or that next layer. And remember, you're buying your shoes. So if you get to the end of the summer and it's time to go back to school and uh, you spent all your money on candy over the summer, you're going to be going to school in some pretty ugly looking ratty shoes from last year, <laughs> right? They're falling apart. The bottoms are pulling off. Like, and that's your problem. I'm not fixing right. that for you, right? Yeah. So, and my middle son, Wes, who I just adore, has been the one that has been kind of the hardest to turn on some of this stuff. Okay. My oldest and my youngest are like rock star savers. My middle one's like, ooh, that's fun. Let's do that. Ooh, I want to buy that. And so he's had some of these moments where he needed something and we didn't bail him out. Right. Yeah. And it was so helpful for him to recognize how I need to start thinking about this stuff. Mm -hmm. He's he's saying things. We, we don't do chores as part of our payment for okay. our house and our deal. Doing chores around the house is part of being be part of being a Lenhoff. Right. Okay. We, we all need, you know, you got to take the trash out. You got to help me with this. You got to help me with that. We're, we're not going to pay you extra for that stuff. But there have been scenarios where I've said, hey, this isn't really a chore that we would, you know, naturally do. But if you want to power wash the driveway, you know, I'll pay you 50 bucks. Right. Yeah. And my son, my middle one who needed to, to buy a pair of shoes was like, I'm power washing the driveway. What else can I be doing? Right. Like he's starting to think about, I got to make this up. Yeah. So that I can make sure I get to where I need to be before school starts. And so some of those things are have been really helpful. So we transitioned. So my 16-year-old, he bought his own car. We matched his savings dollar for dollar for the car. Awesome. So we said, look, whatever you save for the car, we'll give you double that. And then that's what you have to spend. So if you don't really focus on this, you know, it could be that you're buying some two thousand dollar beater. Right. Uh, that comes with $5,000 worth of problems. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you may want to think about this and give yeah. it a little bit. Of and so he was able to save about $5,500 over the year. He did, got a job, you awesome. know, that we would drive him to. And he was able to buy a car for a reasonable price that was, you know, reliable, not going to break down on him. So those are all things we want him to step further into. Uh, and they're all happening within the bank of mom and dad. The, the coolest thing about Greenlight is in the app, you can split the money that goes towards giving, the money that goes towards saving, and the money that goes towards spending. And Greenlight, I've actually talked to the guys that developed it out in California. They're super cool people. But I told them, hey, you're, you're actually marketing this wrong, ironically. Like you're telling everybody that the goal of the app is to control your kids. Like to, you can set limits on can they spend this much at Starbucks or can we turn the, You can turn it off at the store level. Uh -huh. Right. Nice. And I'm like, I actually want them to blow this. I want them to make a huge mistake here. And they're like, really? And they, so we've had a conversation about that. But it's the beautiful thing is they get a debit card. So mm. they're swiping. Okay. And they're learning to deal with cashless world because, yeah. you know, it's one thing to reach in your pocket and not have any cash. Mm -hmm. But it's a whole other thing when you can just swipe that card. Oh, and yeah. That's the world we live in now. And they need to get it used is. to that. So they have a debit card, they're making their own purchases. And they're starting to get used to that balancing between needs and wants. At some point, I haven't quite gotten there yet. My oldest is 16. Amy, you know, he buys clothes. He buys, you know, most of his day-to-day -day needs. He's covering at some level. He's got a job. He's buying his own gas. He's paying for his own car insurance, that kind of stuff. So he's doing all of those things. There's a point people are asking, do you get to a place where you start charging him rent? I'm not sure I'm there yet. But, you know, it's like, what do you keep adding in order to help him continue to prioritize needs and wants 
So one of the things that we've done with him is I've said, hey, I'm, I'm going to make you pay for all these things, but here's the deal. At the end of the year, whatever you make, I'm putting into your Roth for you. Wow. So I will do the, the retirement savings part for you if you do the responsible management of everything else. So that we Well, let me tell you, James, your, your son at 16 yeah. is more responsible than a lot of 26 and 36-year-olds. <laughs> right. Well, I, I don't want to make him sound like a saint. I mean, he definitely has moments for sure. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Like, yep. so what are the like the long-term benefits of letting kids fail with money when the amounts and the consequences are relatively small? Yeah. The the biggest thing is that they can recover quickly. They're not yeah. devastated by anything. If they make a mistake where they buy something that, you know, they, they find later that was cheaper and they could have spent less, like, yeah, they could have saved 15 bucks or whatever, but it's not a house where they mortgaged their soul to get this right. thing they couldn't afford. And then the more, more, you know, housing market drops 15% and they're like, man, if I'd have just been more patient, I don't want them to make 50, 60, $70,000 mistakes and have that be the first time they experience those things because yeah. they are irreparable sometimes. Like recovering from those types of mistakes is so painful mm-hmm. that they just, they have no hope. Yeah. But with a kid making a $15 mistake, there's no loss of hope. It's like, oh, darn, that was a bummer. I should have seen right. that coming. So that's a big win is that they start to gain confidence and they maintain that that sense of, I can do this, right? Even yeah. though they know they screwed up and we have a conversation about that. And that conversation is what did you learn rather than what I want to berate you for? Mm. <laughs> you know, yes. like they actually get to process it and be like, oh yeah, I should have seen that. That that was a dead giveaway. I'll notice it next time. Yeah. And that's the biggest win other than that maintaining confidence is they now walk into a world, you know, where the, everything in the world is trying to tell them that they would be just so much more satisfied if they had this thing mm-hmm. or that product that they've totally lived without up until now, but now they can't live without it, right? Like they, they, the messaging that they're getting bombarded with, if they don't know the tricks of the trade, if they don't have experience going, ah, I see what you're doing, yeah. right? Then they're going to fall prey to it and they're going to overspend and they're going to get out over, over their skis. They're going to have credit card debt. And they're going to make mistakes that start to compound on themselves and then become proof to their brain, evidence to their brain that they suck at this. Yeah. And then they well, just fall into oblivion. So, yeah. Well, and doing this process with your kids allows you these teachable moments where they're experiencing the financial and the emotional consequences, and you have the opportunity for them to experientially feel it, but also for you to have a conversation where you're educating them about how personal finance works. Right. Right. In a construct that they can understand. Yeah. Right. I mean, if I sat down with one of my kids, if they have had no experience with any of this stuff and I start talking about a debit card versus a credit card, and I start talking about savings accounts and Roth IRAs and all the things that they need to know, but they have no understanding of even some of the basic blocking and tackling 
then we're just reinforcing confusion. We're just giving them more lingo and more language that they don't understand and they've never had experience with. And we're setting them up to stay dependent where if yeah. they get some experience and I can say, Hey, you know, that, that right there is a lot like this over here. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that's how that works. Oh, okay. So like, for example, we've had scenarios where a kid has come to us and said, Hey, I really want this thing. I don't have the money. Can I borrow from the bank of mom and dad? Can I get a loan? Right. And I'm like, yeah, we can do that. Let's talk about how that works and, and let's learn about repayment and amortization and these are payments you're going to have to make and the interest compounds and here's how that all works. And so we're giving them access to it at a really small scale. That's super easy to understand. Like if we lend you a hundred dollars, then you're not going to get allowance for X number of weeks. That's the way we're going to do that. And they're like, wow, that's going to cost me way more than a hundred dollars. I'm like, right. That does that. That's how that works. Right. So we need to give them some at bats with small dollars and easy to understand circumstances rather than just hoping they figure it out. Yeah. I want to know what interest rate you charge your children. 5%. (laughs) Half half of what the interest is on their other things. So it's kind of like, you know, (laughs) I don't know. I'm I'm probably being a little too generous there, but that's- that's I was going to say, it should probably be twice as much. It should should be 20% because if we're going to show them how credit cards work, that's really what we need to be charging. That's right. Well, I know this has been awesome and we could talk for hours about this kind of stuff, but I know there's (laughs) probably some parents who are listening to this and the question that they're thinking right now is, is it too late for my kid? Mm, Yeah. Uh, No, I don't don't care if your kid is in in their teens, in their 20s. If the goal is to start to move them towards this, anything that you have built into them that is dependent on you, you are charged as their leader Mm -hmm. to move them to a place where they become independent. Now, my my goal over time is interdependency, right? So I want to move from dependency, child saying, I can't feed myself, I can't clothe myself. Yeah, that makes sense. To independence, I can do this by myself. Mm-hmm. I think the ultimate maturity is interdependence that says, man, it's really fun to do this stuff together. I don't need you to do it with me, yeah, but it's really exciting and fun. So it's, you know, things I have in mind, things like, what would it look like for me to help my kids start a business or for me to fund some of the stuff they're trying to do, even though they could totally do it on their own and they know how to do it. I want to be a part of it with them. So let's yeah. figure out what that looks like. So that's the progression but it, that interdependence is not dependence. It's the joy of still being in relationship and being connected to each other. And right. so if you're in any stage, starting down this road is better than saying, well, I guess they're just going to figure out the hard way because the hard way runs the risk of damage that is so hard to recover from and that becomes a permanent stain on their efforts. Like, you know, maybe they end up in a situation where they have a collection yeah. And that now is a really long process on their credit report. And so for all this time, they're paying the penance mm-hmm. of this mistake. Man, let's get them where they can make those mistakes without those repercussions that are so painful. Yeah. And so, yeah, start wherever you are and get them access to it. Awesome. So yeah. do you have any parting words of wisdom for parents who are listening today? Uh, I I would say a couple of things. One would be let your kids in on your failure. Mm. 
One of the things that I think I have found is parents want to be the superhero and look like they have it all together and they've never made a mistake. One, that's not believable. And two, what it does is it reinforces in your kid, if they have a mistake, then something's wrong with them because mom and dad never make mistakes, Mm. right? And so one of the best things we can do when I have seen my kid make a mistake, whether it's with money or anything else, what I try to do is relate it back to one that I had. Right. Like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh. I remember when I was a kid, there was this toy. Mine was Voltron. Right. Voltron <laughs> was like over the moon, my favorite <laughs> thing ever. And I saved up like crazy to buy this kit, this Voltron toy and all the plastic stuff broke in like week one. And I was Aww. so devastated. And so when my kid feels that I can say, oh, you are right on script, man. Me, too. I was I did the mm-hmm. exact same thing when I was your age yeah. so that there's not this sense of something's wrong with me. So that's one, let your kids in on your failure. And then two, one of the things that we are really passionate about in our household is failure is something to be celebrated, Mm. not hidden. Yeah, that's I want to talk about the mistakes that we're making. I want to talk about the things that we wish we'd done differently because we can, we're going to make mistakes. If we're trying things that are new, we should be failing all the time. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about that, because if we embed in our family culture, this idea that failure is something we shouldn't talk about and that we want to hide, then we're going to have these compounding kind of festering failures that never get brought out to light. And they bring shame and they bring the sense of inadequacy. And I personally, this maybe is a soapbox we don't want to get on, but I personally challenge my kids all the time. Hey, I think schools are really, really good at teaching you how to pass. They are horrible at teaching you how to fail. (laughs) And I really want you to fail. Like I want you to experience that when you fail, it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And when you fail, you learn and you grow because schools are teaching kids to be so afraid of failing. And I'm like, what? No, like that's not the real world. Fail, please fail. Right. Yeah. You can learn calculus on YouTube, right? Like, (laughs) Learning things is ubiquitous. We can get any information we need, but Mm -hmm. trying things and failing is so critical. And I think we just as parents need to model that and invite our kids into that because it's so much healthier. Awesome. Well, James, it has been an absolute delight. I am sure that we will have you on again uh, because you and I could talk about all kinds of personal finance areas for hours and hours. So all day long, I'm ready um, whenever you are. (laughs) (laughs) But we we know our audience does not have hours and hours. So so. they got plenty of time, Christine. Let's (laughs) let's just keep on going. I'm telling you this, this was amazing. James, I mean, I I told you before we started, she's talked you up like crazy. Yeah, this is fantastic. And and I got to tell you that I had a complete flashback and it's it's almost a two parter here with with the impact of the story that that just kind of really hit my heart when you were talking early on about letting your kids fail, you know, when when they're little and they're they're walking or learning to walk, they're only a little bit off the ground. And, you know, so that's an easier fall. Well, I equated it to bike riding, right? Because yeah, I remember learning when I was a kid, my dad just shoved me really hard and, you know, I, I hit the pavement a few times and that's how it, you know, <laughs> get up, boy, you're fine. You know, walk it off, boy, you know, it, it, it was, it was fine. Right. It was, it was okay. When I taught my kids, it was a little different because, you know, they had helmets. Right. <laughs> we, we don't just shove our kids, right? We know that they're going to wobble. We know that they're going to fall down, but we also put those things in place like elbow pads or knee pads or a helmet 
or whatever that's going to lessen the fall and they'll learn a better lesson from that right because it's there's still pain involved there's still failure involved but they're not going to get injured and so i love that as as far as what you're talking about because let them fail with small stuff it's still going to cost them something they're still going to learn something and then the other piece of this flashback that i had was my grandson it was a moment of pride and then immediate fear and here's why he was four years old and he had this little kind of a bicycle that didn't have you know a, a chain on it so it was just something that he would toddle around on but what we didn't know was going on is that he was learning balance really well and so all of a sudden at four years old he, he there was this other little spider-man bike that i brought out and i'm like okay you know this could be something we teach him how to ride you know this is a, a full-fledged bicycle the boy pushed off from my driveway and immediately started pedaling and he was gone yeah. <laughs> never fell down That's great. That's never awesome. fell down. so here's grandpa going God, that's my boy, right? That's, yeah, that's right, my grandson. Right, yeah. I mean, look at him go. And I'm like, oh, dear God, he's going to crash at a much faster rate, <laughs> at a faster speed, because he didn't learn how to fall when you just give him a little shove and he's wobbling and falls down. He's already going like 35 miles an hour down my road, I swear to you. And he's turning corners and he's coming back and he's like, Papa, and I'm like, dude, slow down, you know. But, but it, it can be that way with our kids, right? Where we see them speeding towards something at a higher rate than we want them to go and the crash and burn on that situation is so much worse than if we you know actually get them slowly acclimated to what true life is so i i love the conversation today all your points were so amazing please tell me again what that book that you wrote was yeah it's called living a rich life the no regrets guide to building and spending wealth Fantastic. Well, I hope I'm assuming it's on Amazon and everywhere else, uh -huh. right? Yes. Okay. Let's, let's get that out there to the public. Um, well, yeah. And then I'm sure we can put a link in the show notes. Uh, James, do you have a preferred book supplier that you'd like us to use as our link? Oh, no, you can just use Amazon. It's fine. Nope. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, James, again, thank you so much, Christine. Uh, wow. You, you, uh, you saved the best for first. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is amazing it's all downhill from here that's right every, okay listen up every other guest that's coming on the show wow the shoes to fill on this one good luck that's all i'm saying uh, all right christine I, here's the thing is that this is what you do right yeah. you, you you work with folks like this you talk with folks like this you commune with and i'm just going to use that word because i love it you commune with gentlemen and, and ladies like this that give you more experience give you more ammunition for the things that you do in your own business for folks Absolutely. that are listening to this or maybe they're this is their first time listening to the podcast how do they reach out to you so they can kind of start a journey with you to understand that you know all the things you're, you've been talking about money is emotional this yeah. is what you do how do they get a hold absolutely. of you? Absolutely. Yeah. The best way is my website, which is christinelukin.com, or they can reach out to me via email. Hello at christinelukin.com. All right. And then one last thing, Christine, James, if you're okay with it, I would love for people that are interested in maybe reaching out to James and learning more about him and, and what he does professionally. Can they reach out through you, Christine? Absolutely. Okay. All right. So listeners, if you're interested in learning more about James or maybe connecting with him, reach out to Christine and she will put you in contact with Mr. James. Fantastic job, you guys. I really appreciate it. I learned a ton and I just had such an, an enjoyable time listening to the two of you talk. And of course, our last thank you will always go to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Money is Emotional podcast with Christine Lucan. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Christine comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. 
And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Money is Emotional, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Money is Emotional podcast. To get in touch, visit our website at www.christinelucan.com or drop us a line at hello at christinelucan.com. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Christine Lucan. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Always seek the advice of your advisor, tax professional, or other qualified financial professional with any questions you may have regarding your personal finances.